and I'm sure you agree with Brother Jeff, great is the Lord who's worthy to be praised. Songwriter said, lift up your voice and rejoice. Welcome to the service this morning. So good to see you. Looking forward to a blessed day in the house of the Lord. I love the beginning of this hymn, down at the cross where my Savior died. What a place to begin a worship service at the cross of Christ. Where for cleansing from sin, I cried and found his blood applied to my heart. That'll make you want to sing praises to your Lord and, Lord and Savior. Stand if you would. Let's bring glory to his name this morning. Sing with all your heart. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercies each and every day. Father, we thank you for this church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that the gospel is true, and the only way to heaven is through salvation in your son, Jesus. Father, I just ask you that if someone's here today and they haven't received you as your Savior, let today be the day that they can walk out of here and know that they're going to spend eternal life with you in heaven. Father, I ask you to be with Pastor Hunter today as he brings us the next message in John. Just preach through him. Allow us to open our ears and our hearts to hear what he has to say from you. 
Father, I ask you to be with us now as we turn around and greet each other with a holy wave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and wave to your neighbor. Good to see it. Remain standing. You hear Brother Jeff playing. He is the Lord. Forever his truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. I want him to be exalted in your heart today. Exalt him with your voice now. Sing with all your heart. The king is exalted on high. He is exalted. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever. Exalted and I will praise his name. He is the Exalted on a high. You may be seated. What a joy it is to see in service today. I trust that the Lord Jesus is exalted in your heart this morning as well as we lift our voice and just praise His holy name, His name that is worthy of our praise. So good to see you. Welcome to Plantation Baptist Church. I just want to look at your eyeballs today. Uh, people are coming back and I want to see who's here and who's not here. And, and normally, I wasn't going to do this, but I'll let my secret out. I know it's going out over the airwaves. Sometimes pastor gets a little bit nervous. You, I, you probably don't ever notice that about me, but I get nervous up here. And when I get nervous, I stop looking at your eyeballs and I start looking at your hairline. And out there, you think I'm looking at your eyeballs, but I'm actually looking at your hairline. Now, for some of you, that's a further look than for others, but that's fine. So if you're ever seated out there and you think, is he looking at me? Now you really got to wonder, is he looking at me or is he looking at my hair? My dad taught me that. He said, son, if you ever get nervous, just look, look them in their hairline. It'll make you feel a little bit less pressure. And so, but today I want to look at your eyeballs. If you're glad to be in the house of God, say amen. amen. Wonderful. So good to see you. Um, that, if you're visiting with us today, we've had so many guests over the past few weeks and months. And we're delighted to have you. I'm not sure how God arranged it or brought you, but whatever that case is, 
we're delighted. If you've never filled out one of our connection cards in the pew in front of you, if you'd reach out, grab that, fill it out, put it in your offering plate, that gives us a record of your attendance. Um, right down there, how God brought you to Plantation Baptist. If a friend invited you, if you saw the bus bench sign out there on the internet, I don't know, I don't know maybe you were handed a card, you your neighbor, somebody along those lines. These are just ways that, that we rejoice in all that God is doing. While they're doing that, let me make some announcements. Um, I'm so excited to announce that we're beginning to move forward and open up some, some things that we used to do and get back to some normality here. Uh, of course, at our 8.30 service now, our children's ministries are open, and we had a wonderful crowd at 8.30, and the kids were coming back, and uh, we're delighted to have them. Next Sunday, we will begin our choir practices again. And Brother Jeff is going to begin them at 4.30 in the Sunday afternoon, probably run them right till about 6 o'clock. We do not have an evening service right now, so that will end the evening there. And if you were in the choir, we need you back. If you have not been in the choir and you would like to be, we would love to have you. Two things have to happen. Choir is for members. You have to be a member of our church. That might be new. And you should be able to sing a little bit. Okay? So for one of the, the way we, we know about membership, we don't know how well you sing. So we'll bring Simon Cow in here and he will let you know how that will go. Uh, no, Jeff is our Simon Cow, and he will have you sing and he will let you know if your ministry is in the choir or if your ministry is in the pew. And, uh, either one are important. So we'd love to have you. The choir will not begin to sing on Sunday mornings until the first Sunday of December. And we're really pushing toward preparing for Christmas. First Sunday of November, which is the first day of November, which I believe is the day that we set our clocks back, we will open up our Sunday school ministries. We need them. We miss them. The fellowship, the Bible teaching, just all that is there, the prayer time. Uh, we're not going to open up all of the classes. They'll be condensed, but there will be a place for you. I promise you that. And so I'll write that on your calendar, November 1st. We will open up the Sunday school. That will probably take us back to our 830, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock schedule. Uh, and that'll make, that will happen at the beginning of November. And we're excited about that. Oh, I hope and pray when you drove by today, you saw the beautiful parking lot. Can we get an amen out of that? Or even an applause for that, right? Praise the Lord. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that the Lord let it rain this morning and this side is a mess. Why? Because I'm hoping that inspires us to move toward this side in our concentration and in our, our focus there. And so, man, has God been good to us. You see that all of the parking concrete has been poured. Uh, we have driven vehicles on it to make sure that it will hold. And it works. By God, it works, right? Uh, we've had big trucks, small cars, and everything uh, that are moving out there. You're beginning to see a glimpse of what it is going to look like. And so thank you so much for that. We still have work to do in the parking lot. I made this uh, presentation last week for Anniversary Sunday. 
We really need that to be finished so we can have Christmas. You understand, we, we can't have Christmas just with this out here. It's a mess. Prior to having this, this parking lot, we used to protect the grass. You know, we wouldn't, if services, if it rained, we would cancel services because once the trucks rut the ground, the grass holds the water and it's just a mud hole out there. And you've experienced that. So we're moving forward by faith. Um, we're trusting that the Lord is going to meet this need. We're putting up the Christmas lights. We're headed toward that season. God does wonderful things along those lines. Last month, uh, $65,000 came in for the building fund in the month of September. That ought to get you to say amen as well, right? If we could, if we sustain that, it's going to take us past into the new year to get the parking lot done. So we're asking God to provide. We need about $290,000 to finish the parking lot. That would be signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, the electric poles are coming. You're going to see the poles going up. The sprinkler system is going to be put in there. Pastor, why are we watering the concrete? Uh, we're watering the, the landscaping. $130,000 for trees. 130 grand for landscaping. Don't tell me you can do it cheaper. Uh, 130 grand. 100 plus trees going in the parking lot. Wow. That makes me mad just thinking about it. Um, but all of that moving forward there and uh, so much more to be done. Uh, the electrical part, that part, the striping of the proper uh, of the parking lot there. And uh, we're putting a fence all the way around and hedges, all of that. It all takes money. If I was to take, if I was to tell you from December 15th, if you take the money that has come in, you take the time, labor, and effort that people have given toward the building fund, I would let you know that we're probably in the neighborhood of $850,000 that God has provided for this project in the middle of a pandemic. Our God is great, isn't he? It's marvelous and he's wonderful. And so, Pray, church family. Give, church family. Um, just see, just be concentrated. Think about the building program during the day. Make it part of your devotions. Let's see God do a wonderful work. I want to do a prayer time out there, and I'm organizing a march. It seems like the whole world is marching today. I wanted to walk around the parking lot and have us do a prayer time, but I'm afraid the building walls would fall down like Jericho. So I'm rethinking that that plan a little bit. But I'm going to put together a prayer time that we can do and just be blessed of the Lord. And so speaking of being blessed of the Lord, last week was anniversary Sunday. We had a marvelous time. We baptized seven folks after the service right there in the middle of that section. Pastor Reuben got to lead three people to faith in Jesus. And that was a wonderful time. If you were here at the memorial service for Pat Harris yesterday, what a delight that was. God showed up and the gospel seed was planted and was watered and we're trusting him for a, a, an increase. Um, the next hymn is not easy to sing. I know that. If you don't stay in the hymn mentally, you're going to be lost. But if you will stay in the hymn mentally and you will sing it, there's a wonderful message in this hymn as it lifts our great Savior, the Lord Jesus. Four verses to it. The first one will declare him to be a friend for sinners and the lover of our soul. The second one will declare him to be the strength in our times of weakness. The third one will declare him to be our help in the midst of sorrow and when our heart is breaking. The fourth verse will acknowledge him as our guide 
and our keeper when the storms blow in our lives. When you get to the chorus, your heart will just rejoice. And it begins with, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. No wonder the hymn writer said there's only one title for this. Our great Savior. If you believe He's great, would you say amen? Stand and sing His greatness. Find His greatness in the hymn. And whatever your need is, He's our supply. I trust you let Him minister to you.
I trust that you're blessed by that hymn. It always thrills my heart when we have days like today. And I'll ask Eddie and Samantha if they'll come and bring little Ava to the platform. We have a baby dedication today. And it's just always sweet when we have a baby dedication. And she's giving me the evil eye right there. Did you see that? Um, This is little Ava. And she's God's precious gift to Eddie and to Samantha. This is the third time we've done a baby dedication, isn't it? How many of these are we going to do, guys? I don't know. Let's just, let's, just, let's just keep it going, right? Praise the Lord. Um, Eddie, from Peru, right? Your, your family's from Peru. Were you saved in Peru? He was, he was, he found Jesus in Peru. Aren't you glad Jesus saves people outside the United States? <laughs> Sometimes we think that he only works in the USA. As a matter of fact, he needs to work in the USA. Um, I respect this man for many reasons. His faith in God. He's a great husband to his wife, a provider to his family. And he serves our nation in the United States Air Force. And you can acknowledge that. And together, his, his time now will take him out of the United States and take him to the nation of Japan. And um, I got that right, right? To Japan? And you're going to go with him, right? Okay, good. <laughs> and serve. Um, I'm excited about that because our missionary Nick and Lorena are going to be over there. And wouldn't that be neat for God just to provide some things for them as they travel over there? The lady beside me, I love dearly. Her and I share a bond that we will never, ever forget. She knows this. On October 7th, 2004, she was in my youth group. Which one do you think looks better after all those years? (laughs) We were coming back from Islands of Adventure. She was in that bus, a bus very similar like our bus out there. I was in a 15-passenger van in front. And a car hit our bus and put that bus in the canal at Glaze Road on the turnpike. 25 teenagers went in that night. 22 came out. I think I was the one that swam her from the bus to the shore. When I dropped her on the shore, I didn't think she'd make it. Matter of fact, they landed a helicopter down, took her into Delray, and God spared her life. She's got a wonderful heart for God. She walks with God, and now she serves God. And I'm so grateful for what God did on that night. And God's given them Autumn, Enzo, and now Ava. Baby dedications are not about the baby. They're about the parent. Little babies are protected in the innocency and righteousness of God. Something were to happen to little Ava before the age of accountability, before she could know her sin. We know from the scripture that she would be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Baby dedications are about mom and dad. About mom and dad reckoning that God gave them their children. That those children are in loan to you. You're a steward of your child. 
You have a responsibility to nurture and train up your child in the admonition of the Lord. You have a responsibility to prepare your child for whatever God calls your child to do. These are responsibilities that godly parents know that are outside of their ability. So they stand before their church family and they say, this is our heart, but we need God to help us. And we are presenting to you that it is our heart to raise our child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We stand before you to dedicate our child to the glory of God. We're, we're making a pact with you. We desire to be godly parents. We want you to pray that, God, that we will be godly parents. And if you'll pray for them, would you say amen? You're going to pray with us now. This is what this is all about. Holding accountable a church family. They have proven themselves to be godly parents. And God has blessed them. And I'm delighted today to come to the throne of grace with them and with you. And to lift little baby Ava. And just reckon God's goodness. And I'm going to ask God to do certain things. I'm going to ask God at the earliest age possible she would come to know Jesus as her Savior. That God would spare her a life of scar and suffering. That God would provide a godly husband for her one day. And that the two of them would be able to serve the Lord together. And that her life would bring nothing but glory to God. It's a precious time. Pastor, we come from a place where they usually christen the little baby or baptize the little baby. I know you do. And that may be what your church does, but you won't find that in the Bible. Baptizing babies is not something that the Bible would put its approval on. Baptism is for you once you have professed Jesus as your Savior. Nowhere in the Bible is there the sprinkling of water for baptism. There's the immersion under the water because of what baptism pictures. It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection. Sprinkling doesn't picture the death of Jesus. If Jesus didn't die, you and I couldn't be saved. Right? So... It's not a, a, a christening or a baptism that protects that baby. It's the prayer of faith that protects that little baby. And that's what we will do. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father God, what a joy, what a delight, what a privilege it is to once again stand with Eddie and Samantha Tang. Father, to reckon once again your bestowment into their home. Father, you have provided them and given to them a precious gift in little Ava. She's beautiful. Lord, I I thank you so much for her. Lord, they know that. That's why they're here. I, I lift Eddie to the throne of grace. Father, he... um. He's a marvelous man of God. He's a marvelous servant of the Lord. He serves our nation. He's got a heart for God. I pray that you continue to bless him as a godly man. I pray that you continue to bless him as a godly husband and as a godly father. I pray that he'll love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I pray that he would lead his children in the paths of righteousness. I pray for Samantha, God. I thank you for sparing her life that evening. I thank you for saving her soul. I pray the same for her, that she'd be a godly lady, she'd be a godly wife, and a godly mother. God, that she would reverence her husband, and she would mother her children, 
that one day they will rise up and call her blessed. Lord, may this home be covered by the blood of Jesus. They're going to travel to Japan. I want your protective hand upon them. Bring them home soon. And God, you have purpose in that, and I know you do. So, Heavenly Father, my responsibility today with all the people of our church is to dedicate little Ava to the throne of grace. And so here I approach the throne. Lord Jesus, with mom, with dad, with church family, and with the pastor, we here do by dedicate this little baby girl to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that she would know salvation early in her life, as a child even, that she would be spared a life of scarring and hurt and all that sin has to bring. I pray that she will grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that one day you'll provide a godly husband for her, and her and her husband will serve you until that day that they meet you. This is our hope. This is our prayer. This is our desire. And we are confident that you will answer that. Thank you for your strong arm, which we lean upon during these days. We love you. Bless this home. Bless this family richly, I pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God would say, amen and amen. All right. Thank you. Love you. Proud of you. We could rejoice with them right by a round of applause while they're seated. Brother Jeff will play our offertory at this time. We'll have our offering. Thank you for being so faithful in your area of tithes and giving. I trust that you'll listen to the offertory and be blessed.
Wonderful. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and find the seventh chapter of the book of John. John chapter 7 will be our text today. As we once again come back to the Gospel of John in our study, if you're just joining us, we have been we have been in this book for multiple weeks as our title of our series is That You Might Have Life. It's a book that John has written about the Lord Jesus to exalt Him as the Son of God, to exalt Him as the very Christ, hoping that you and I would see that and believe upon Him and know the life that is in His name. It's a deep book. It's a big book. It's got rich truths. It's got deep truths. Um, it's a book that I think is easy to follow as you, as we find ourselves today in a narration and in a moment. But I trust that you will give your heart, your mind, and your ears to the book. There's message in here for those that do not know the Lord. And there's message here for those that do know the Lord. We join the chapter in the 10th verse today. And uh, the Bible says in chapter 10, or I'm sorry, in verse 10 of chapter 7. But when his brethren, that's Jesus' brethren, were gone up. Then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Listen very carefully, please, and make sure you read very carefully. For some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he deceiveth the people. I want to stop right there and just announce to you my title for the rest of this chapter. And I have put as a title for the rest of this chapter, the Messiah debate. Debate ought to be a word that kind of pricks your thought right now, right? I wonder, did you watch the presidential debate? I watched about 30 seconds of the presidential debate. I turned it on, and immediately it became what I thought it was going to become, and I just couldn't take it, right? So I went over to something more manly like the Hallmark Channel and calmed myself down pretty good. Ferocious was that thing, back and forth, lacking order, and both guys have to do what they have to do, right? But I I couldn't take the, the stress of all that. The intensity of it, I could handle. Maybe the foolish part of it I had a hard time with. There is a debate for the rest of this chapter that carries with it tremendous intensity. I want to present the debate to you today in an orderly, mindful fashion. I promise you that both parties will be able to get out their words. I promise you that you will see both points of view. I think it was at the end of the presidential debate, usually they end normally with Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, whoever's running, 
would you please let the American people know why you would make the best choice, right? And they make their presentation. And then they usually sum that up with, now you think about it, and you make your choice. Stay with me in this debate. Stay with me the whole time. And when I get down to the end, I'm going to present an opportunity for you to make a choice. And I hope and pray that you see it as clear as it is in the word of God. Pick up, please, if you would, in verse number 13. Jesus has gone up to the feast of the tabernacles. Nobody is really speaking of him openly, but everybody is looking for him privately. He is the topic of conversation. He is the moment. He is the one that everybody is consumed with. He's not safe. Therefore, they're careful about their conversation. They're careful about how they move accordingly. But he is on everybody's mind. The Bible says that as this debate is happening, where some think him to be a good man and some think him to be a deceiver, some think he's the Lord, some think he's a lunatic or a liar, into this debate of the people, the Lord Jesus injects himself. Verse number 14, the Bible says that he goes up into the midst of the feast, into the temple, and he begins to teach. And the Jews, verse number 15, marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? I want to begin by kind of walking you through the temperature of the debate, and there is a marveling or a wondering that has happened. They're wondering whether he's truthful or a liar. They're wondering if he's good or if he's bad, if he is telling the truth or if he's a deceiver. The Lord Jesus himself moves into the temple and begins to sit down and begins to teach. And as he begins to open up his mouth, immediately they are overwhelmed by, by his verbiage, by his understanding, by the depth of his, of his truth. And they're marveling because they did not see that in him. And what you need to understand is Jesus is in the temple teaching. He's mostly teaching the Old Testament scriptures. And so here they are. They're studying the written word, and seated right beside them is the living word, right? You understand that. And they're perplexed because to them, he's the son of Joseph. No, he's not. He's the son of God. To them, he's just a mere carpenter or a mortal man. To them, he is unlearned. And... Back in those days, you have to understand that, like today, education was very much valued. Let me just say something to you. Education ought to never be more valued than salvation. Okay? So you have a class of educated people in the scriptures, in the letters. 
Back then, the way that they worked their education system was with rabbis or teachers. Rabbis would have followers or disciples. And you as a, as a student, you would choose what rabbi you wanted to follow. And you would attend his school of development. He would teach you from the Old Testament his doctrine, his way of life. And determining on, on, on whether on what rabbi you followed was your status, whether you were elite, whether you were common, whether you were postgraduate, or whether you were undergraduate, or so on and so forth. And, but nobody should ever have any integrity or any voice who hasn't been in one of their schools. And so here comes this punk who's never been in any of their schools. And he sits down inside their temple and he can teach better than the rabbis. By the way, let me just say this so we understand it to be truthful. There is no expert like Jesus. Jesus is expert on every subject. I would say this to you, Christian, that as we anchor our lives on the Word of God and we follow the biblical principles, this Bible in this direction and the truth that it is makes us expert as long as we follow the Bible way. Don't let anybody intimidate you. Don't let anybody call you ignorant. Don't let anybody uh, push you around. Don't you stand in the background. Don't you think because they have a PhD or a master's or they've got some type of uh, educational system behind them. If you stand on the word of God, you stand on ultimate truth. And it makes you an expert in subjects. They're marveling at the Lord Jesus. They can't figure this out. Watch at verse 16. Jesus begins to teach them. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. Now, no disciple, no follower in any one of their rabbinical schools would ever speak for himself. He is a disciple of that rabbi therefore the rabbi's doctrine is the student's doctrine and if the student is to put forth his own doctrine he's considered unrighteous as a student jesus says my doctrine you think me ignorant and unlearned you think me without a rabbi my doctrine it comes from the one that sent me. By the way, who sent the Son? The Father. Verse number 7, verse 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now you can understand this. Don't get lost. You paid good money for those seats you're sitting in. Think. Jesus says, no, no student would ever put forth outside of the rabbinical class that he has. And if he was to seek his own glory and put that forth, then he would be considered an unrighteous student. 
Jesus himself had said many times, I did not come here to speak of myself. I came here to share with you what the Father wanted me to share with you. And Jesus here is declaring that he is a true witness of the Father. Now he pokes them pretty good in verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Ooh. See, they, they, they presented themselves, most of those Pharisees and those rabbis, they presented themselves as spiritually above everybody else. They presented themselves as keepers of that Old Testament law. You common people don't have the mental ability or the perfected lives like we do to be entrusted with this. God didn't entrust you. God entrusted us. Therefore, don't you dare read for yourself. We will tell you what the law of God is. We will tell you what the law of Moses is. And so they felt very confident in themselves as being keepers of the law, communicators of the law, and righteous because of the law. Like they were some kind of speciality here. Jesus looks them square in their eyeballs and says, Fellas, um, did not Moses give you the law? Yes, he did. And none of you keep the law. That just deflated their whole balloon. Basically, what Jesus told them was, you are a sinner. You are untruthful. You are a liar. You present yourself as this spiritually obedient, attest person. But Jesus says, I know your heart. And what's coming out your mouth, you're not experiencing in your heart. You're telling them to do something and you're not doing it yourself. Moses gave you the law and you don't even want to keep it. Now that statement did to them exactly what you would think it would do. They go from marveling to madness. Look, if you would, please, at verse number uh, 19. Jesus said, here, he said, did not Moses give you the law and let none of you keep the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered him and said, you're an idiot. You have a devil in you. Who goeth about to kill thee? Now, Jesus knew they were after him. Verse 21, Jesus answered and said, stay with me. Don't lose me. The points will be very practical. I've done one work. And you guys marvel. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision. You know what that is in the male anatomy? Not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And you on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. You know what the Sabbath day was? That was on Saturday. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision... The law of Moses should not be broken. Are you angry at me because I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. All right, so follow me here. Jesus inserts himself into the debate. He goes into the temple to teach. First thing they do is they say, who do you think you are, punk? How does he know so much? He's never been to our schools. He's never been taught by us. And we want to know who you are. Where's your accountability? Jesus says, I may never have been to your school, but I am a faithful follower of him that sent me. And him that sent me is God the Father. 
And by the way, before you accuse me of wrong, let me tell you something. You're out here spewing forth your mouth about how everybody ought to live, and you're wicked in your own heart. By the way, God knows all of our hearts. And Jesus Jesus says, and the evidence of that is, you're trying to kill me. You're a liar. You got a devil. You're out of your mind. Who's trying to kill you? Oh, I can show you in the Bible who that was. And Jesus says, this is what you're doing. Moses gave you circumcision, right? That, that covenant in the Jewish community that made them part of that and, and found relationship there, identification there. And you, you guys want to protect the Sabbath day, but in order to keep the law of Moses, even on the Sabbath day, you'll take a little baby boy and you'll circumcise him in his flesh. You're mad at me because I had a withered man laying by the pool who needed to be helped. And on the Sabbath day, not only did I heal him physically, but I healed him spiritually. You, you want to give, now stay with me, here's the point. You want to give validity to Moses and you don't want to give validity to me. We have that problem in our world. People want to believe that Buddha can save them. I've been in a Buddhist temple. If you've ever been in a Buddhist temple, there's nothing more evil than a Buddhist temple. They want to believe Confucius can save them. They want to give validity to, to other world leaders. They want to give validity to other religious leaders. They want to give validity to churches. They want to give validity to doctrines. They want to give validity to cults. They want to give validity to civil rights. They want to give validity to some type of... Everybody wants to give validity to everyone but Jesus. Who's the only valid one? Right? Jesus says, you guys are giving validity to Moses. You're denying me. They didn't like that. They got mad about that. Matter of fact, if you look at verse uh, 25, they go from being marveled to mad to mystified. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? They even knew they were trying to kill him. But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Now, now the people are watching this whole debate unfold, and they're mesmerized that Jesus can speak this way. They're mesmerized that nobody or mystified that nobody's going to uh, touch him. Now they begin to question, is, is he really the Christ? Is this the one? And they're on the verge, right, where they're ready to receive him or to reject him. They have a couple of questions in verse number 27 about where Christ comes from. In verse number 28, Jesus addresses that. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am. I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is what class? Whom you know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Now, there was something happening in this debate. Truth was beginning to permeate the crowd. People were beginning to think. People were beginning to look at the Lord Jesus. They were beginning to see in him the truth. They were beginning to hear the truth in him. And there was this pricking 
of their heart. And the Lord Jesus and God is bringing them to the place where they're getting ready to make a decision for the Lord. And they're mystified here. And they have some questions. But Jesus says, you know who I am. You know where I've come. You just need to make the choice. That might be you out there. You know enough right now to be saved, but you won't do it. You know who Jesus is. You believe who Jesus is. You know who you are. You know the need of that heart. And Satan might keep bringing questions to you. People might begin presenting a problem to you. But Jesus is standing here today, and he's telling you, and I don't know who you are. I wish I did. I would use your name. And Jesus is saying, you know everything you need to know. Just receive me now. Hmm. They didn't like that. Actually, in verse number 31, some of the people did. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? That was evidence that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they believed upon him. They've gone from a marveling position to a maddening position to a mystified position to where they were ready to murder. And yet still in all of this debate, there are some folks that are receiving the Lord. Verse number 32 ought to really open up your eyes to how God keeps people from coming to the truth. Verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. Now the Pharisees were the spiritual leaders of that day. They were the people that they were not Christians. They did not believe in Jesus. They hated Jesus. They were trying to get to heaven by their own good works. They had, they had manipulated the truth of God's law. They presented themselves outwardly righteous, but inwardly they were wicked. And they held everybody hostage to what their belief was. And so when Jesus came on the scene and began to expose their sinfulness and began to let the people know that there was salvation available, the Bible said the common person heard the Lord Jesus gladly. Now the Pharisees begin to inject themselves in this debate. Watch how sneaky this is. The Pharisees heard these things and the people murmured concerning him and the chief priests and they sent officers to take him and to get him. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while am I with you and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Speaking of his death and his resurrection, his ascension. Then said the Jews among themselves, where is he going to go that we cannot find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? By the way, if you're a Gentile in this room and you're glad Jesus comes to the Gentiles, say amen to that, right? What manner of saying is this that he said, you shall not seek me and shall not find me. Where I am, thither you cannot come. Pharisees, they've, they've, they've begun to manipulate themselves into this situation, right? And Jesus is still teaching. Verse 37, in that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now let me just stop here and catch you up, right? You understand, and I'm going to catch you up because I'm driving to one major point in this message. 
comes in and teaches, they marvel at his teaching. Never any man spoke like this. They begin to question his authority. He says, don't you dare question my authority. You have disciples. Your disciples present your doctrine. Him that sent me, I'm presenting his doctrine. If you will study and believe that, you will see that my doctrine is true. Jesus says, by the way, the evidence that you don't believe me is that you're trying to kill me. You, you have a devil. You're out of your mind. No, I don't have a devil. You give validity to everybody in the world, but you won't give me the validity to me. Moses was a great prophet, but I'm telling you, I'm greater than Moses. Moses gave you a law. I kept the law. Moses received his of the fathers. I've received mine from the heavenly father. You, you, you just absolutely don't want to come to me so that you can be saved. Begins to bring about some of them. They begin to excuse. Well, we don't really know. Jesus says, no, you know enough. You know who I am. You know where I'm from. You understand what's happening here. It's just a matter of decision. Many of them believe on that time, and the Pharisees can't stand that. So they come, and they try to create a problem. And in the creating of that problem, Jesus stands up and makes an, an, an invitation to everybody that's there. He says, listen, guys, on that last day of the feast, if any man comes to me let, in thirst, let him come and drink. And he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You remember that feast I told you, for six days they poured that water out in the streets as celebrating God's provision. On the, on, on the eighth day, there was no water, and it was a sacrificial day, and Jesus is standing there and saying, you're all concentrating on the outward, you're not looking on the inside. You're pouring water on the street like the Father told you to do in remembrance of what he's done, but I'm telling you, the Father wants to do a work in your heart. And that water that's being poured out in symbolic can come forth in reality as you're made new in. You're looking at the outside. Jesus is wanting to do a work on the inside. Hear me well. Salvation is not outside in. It's inside out. And out of your innermost being will flow the rivers of living water as the Spirit of God does. They try to manipulate that, and then they try to mediate it. Here's where I'm going. Now watch verse number 40. Stay with me. We're almost done. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a, what's that word class? A division among the people. A debate among the people as to who Jesus is. Verse 44. Some of them would have taken him But no man laid hands on him. Now here's our part. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Remember, they had been sent to get Jesus. And they said unto him, the Pharisees did unto them, Why didn't you guys bring him? Why didn't you get him? The officers answered, verse 46... Never man spake like this man. 
Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Verse 48. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are what class? Okay. <clears throat> One of the strategies when we ha- ever have a presidential election, Democrats have a base, Republicans have a base. And the Democratic nominee tries his best to separate as much of the base of the Republican nominee as he possibly can. The Republican nominee does his best to try to separate as much of the Democratic base as he can from their candidate, hoping to shrink the bases and win bases to their side. One of the ways that is very effective to this is communication. So you'll notice, anytime they can get, they being the opposite party, can get the other candidate on tape saying something negative about his supporters, they're going to play that on a media level and try to present to the supporters This is what that guy really thinks about you. Therefore, don't you vote for them because they really don't give two cents about you. Both sides try to do that. This is what we have right here. You have officers, common men, worked for the Pharisees, right? If you're going to work for the Pharisee, you're going to support that Pharisee. It was, a, it was a good job. Officer, go arrest Jesus. Yes, sir. They go over to arrest him, and Jesus arrests them with his demeanor, with his words. There's a desire to lay hands on him, but they can't. And literally, those men run into the Lord Jesus, and they're disarmed. They come back to face the Pharisee, and the Pharisee says, what happened, fellas? Why, 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 why didn't you get him? Sir, we never ran into a man like that. By the way, there's nobody that's ever walked the face of the earth like Jesus. We never heard anybody speak like that. We never seen power like that. We never felt anything like that. Sir, It just was not a normal experience. Follow what happens here. Those officers in the presence of Jesus are pricked. They're convicted. They feel something. They come back to the Pharisee, and the Pharisee asks them a question. Are you deceived also? Let me ask you a question, sir. Do you see any of us believing in that fool? 
no, sir, I don't see any of you believing in him. And let me tell you something else. All those common people that all are around him, they're idiots. They don't know what we know about God. They're not keepers of the law. Those people are whores. Those people are thieves. Those people are murderers. Those people are cursed. Those people aren't willing or even even worth God's righteousness. Those people aren't holy. We are the holy ones. We are the right ones. We are the religious ones. And we're not believing in that fool. Time out. Number one, Jesus is no fool. Point number two. Unless you believe in Jesus and receive him, you will not know forgiveness of your sin. Point number three. Don't you ever let anybody manipulate your belief in the Lord. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you see him as the Son of God, you ought to make a personal choice to receive him irregardless of anybody else in your life. This is what God does. And so these men were trying to stand in front of the Lord and and keep those men from receiving the Lord. I find this all the time. I find that people try to influence our decisions. Maybe your wife wants to influence your decision. Your husband wants to influence your decision. Your family, your belief system, your church. And there's the Lord Jesus. And in your heart and in your mind, you know him to be the son of God. You feel his presence. You feel his drawing. You know yourself to be a sinner. You know there must be belief. But somehow the devil puts somebody in your way to say, are you deceived or to manipulate that decision? I would never let anybody keep me from believing in Jesus Christ. Nor would I ever let anybody keep me from serving the Lord. At the end of a presidential debate, they will end by saying, you have a couple of minutes to um, speak to the people. Each person will present their side as to why they believe that people should vote for them. I would say at the end of the Messiah debate, Jesus is presented to you. He was sent from God to this world to be the Savior of the world. He was sent from God to die for your sin and for my sin. He was sent from God to show the love of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life to the Lord, to, to salvation. And we must believe upon him. Personal reception. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God. What a debate was going on in the mind and heart of these people. Some said he's a good man. Some said he's a deceiver. Some said he might be. 
Some said, there's no way. Some said, I'm sure and I'm going to believe upon him. Others said, no. Really and truthfully, a debate is designed for truth to be exalted. And the truth is that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Savior. And we must believe upon him. Lord, I pray today if there's anybody in this room does not know the Lord as their personal Savior, they would not let anybody or anyone keep them from believing upon the Lord. I believe that they could see the love of God in the Lord Jesus and that they could receive him. Lord, I'm thinking about our Christian people. I pray they'd not let anyone or anything keep them from obeying the Lord, that they would choose to humble themselves and do what God would have them to do. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking. Have you believed upon the Lord? You watch the debate of people go through a mind process. And Jesus says, you know me. You must receive me. Maybe you're seated there and you know who God is. You know what it means to be saved. You've got to humble yourself and open up your heart. Right there where you sit, you'd like to do that. The best you know how, if you would like to do that, you would simply do that by calling upon the name of the Lord. You'd pray. You'd ask the Lord. You'd say something like, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that Jesus is the Savior. The best I know how today, I believe upon your Lord Jesus. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Take me to heaven when I die. I believe you're the Son of God and Savior of my soul. Then you would finish that prayer by saying, Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. I trust the debate is settled for you. I wonder today, would you pray and ask the Lord to save you? You're seated there. It's a personal decision. I'd never embarrass you. I'd never call your name. But I sure would love for you to, to let me know. Pastor, seated right here. The debate's settled. I believed on the Lord today. I opened my heart to him. Here's my hand and testimony of that. I prayed to receive the Lord. Is there anybody seated out there? You say, Pastor, I, I asked the Lord to save me today. I gave my heart to him. Christian. Don't let anybody influence you away from obeying the Lord. Don't let anybody influence you away from doing what God wants you to do. Don't let anybody influence you away from the faith that God can meet your need, answer your prayer, strengthen your home, protect your marriage, watch over your kid, provide for you. The devil will always love to send people in there to try to distract and do that. You know who God is. Stay open to trust him. Maybe you have a need today and you want to come and pray. The altar will be open. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for our time. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this invitation as people are thinking about you, making decisions in their heart. Some may come for prayer. Give us wisdom as we help them. Lord, I pray if there be somebody here that's not know you, that today they would receive you. We love you. Thank you for this now. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Our song is softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Men are in the aisle. Come, let us pray with you. If you have a need, we'd be delighted. A question we would love to answer. You move as God leads. for listening today. Thank you for praying, trusting the Lord to do wonderful work in our hearts, a continued work. Continue to pray for those that were not believers that were here today, that God would continue and finish that work in their heart. I chose one verse of the old hymn at Calvary to go home. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, the grace that brought it down to man, the mighty gulf that God did spend at Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free. Pardon was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. What a liberty we have in the Lord Jesus. See you back Wednesday night. God bless you. Bless you all. You're dismissed.